and if you want uh, to do something the Russians do, which I always was blessed they did this, they, they stand for the reading of God's word. Would y'all want to do that? I think it's a mark of honor to our Lord because his word is powerful. It shows respect to him. And if we, if I don't know if that's on the screen, but I'll read it and then you can kind of repeat it with me. Let us not become weary in doing good for in due time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So let's say that together. Let us not become weary in doing good for in due time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Lord, we thank you for your word of encouragement you've given to us this morning. Lord, we take it to heart. We thank you that you have given us a promise that is faithful and that we will reap a harvest. Lord, we pray that you strengthen everybody here. Anyone here that's ready to give up, Lord, we stand in the gap for them this morning. We pray that you would strengthen them, Lord, that they would not give up. They would hold on until the victory. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. God bless you this morning. Let us not become weary in doing good, for in due time we will reap. It doesn't say we might. It doesn't say perhaps. It says, in due time, you will reap. Uh, Turn to your neighbor. Get your finger ready. Isn't it great to be able to point your finger at somebody and straighten them out? Point Point your finger at them and say, don't give up. Isn't that great? Don't you feel better already? Just, you can say, I went to church and I just straightened somebody out. My goodness, it was good. <clears throat> in World War II, this church plant we planted, and you're going to see in a few minutes the pictures of the people from the church. I videotaped them our last Sunday, four weeks ago in Belgium. I went around the church. I said, please say something to our American friends in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and thank them for all they've done to help you plant this church. And so you're going to hear and see the people speaking in French, most of them subtitled. I put the subtitles on because Pastor Lynn tells me that y'all don't speak French. Well, working on it. Okay. So we did put subtitles on there for y'all because I thought you might be a little rusty in your French. How many studied French in high school? Okay. We have a couple here. Très bien fait. Just sweet. Okay. On peut parler français ce matin si tu veux. Okay, nobody wants me preaching French. I'll just go on with English then. <clears throat> Let me tell you um, about holding on when things are not looking good. In missions, the whole story of missions is holding on when things are not looking too good. The first American missionary that ever went out, as far as we know, left the country was Adoniram Judson, about 1820, went to Burma. And as all sorts of things happened on the way, he was studying the Bible and discovered that baptism by sprinkling wasn't correct. It's the word baptizo means immersion. So he wrote his congregational congregation on the boat and said, I can no longer be a congregational minister because I believe in believer baptism by immersion. So they, they fired him. He was picked up by the Baptists. Before he got, even before he even got there, all sorts of problems are going on. And I think he went seven years without a single convert. Seven years. How many of us would have kept on, how many would keep on, keep on, on after seven years? Wouldn't you think, well, I'm just not cut out for this. I guess I'll go back to the United States. He just, he just kept at it. And uh, missions is a lot like that. We believe God's promise. We go out and we 
know that in due time we will harvest. Today there are thousands, tens of thousands of Christians in Burma, thanks to Adoniram Judson. He ended up, the Lord just did great things. I'm not here to preach about Burma, but God is faithful. In World War II, 17,000 American boys were surrounded by 40,000 Germans in Bastogne, Belgium, where we went to plant that church. 17,000 surrounded by 40,000. The Germans had all sorts of great equipment. Our guys came in without even their winter uniforms because it was such a rush to get them there. A lot of them didn't even have their weapons, which were being repaired from a previous battle in the Netherlands. So they went there hoping to pick up a rifle to shoot. So it was not a good situation. We're surrounded. The Germans started uh, sending over with their Nebelwerfers. They had a special rocket that was filled with propaganda leaflets, Brother Land. And they'd blow up over our trenches and float down. The messages would say, hey, old buddy, it's cold. Wonder how your wife and kids are back in America. You think you'll ever see them again? You know, if you just walk 300 yards ahead of you, you can surrender to the German authorities and you'll pass this war in safety. Nice, comfortable word from the enemy saying, give up. How many know we shouldn't give up? How many know the devil will give you a really pretty, nice invitation right where you're at to give up? And that's not what you need to do. The Germans sent two officers with two other, so full, a delegation of four people with a letter written, very nicely written to the general, General Tony McAuliffe, and said, uh, General McAuliffe, you're surrounded and things are not looking good. Uh, you're running out of food. And the longer you fight, just the more people are going to die. There's nothing wrong with taking an honorable surrender. That's what they, they, the devil is so persuasive. And he's there and he's got some good arguments for you. They're just still wrong. He wants you to give up. But we need to not give up because the Bible says in due time, we will reap if we don't give up. <clears throat> Nathan Bedford Forrest was a good Confederate general. I guess some of the debate good perhaps. But he was a good fighter. We'll just leave it there. And he um, won battle. I think it might have been fought in Alabama, as I recall. He was fighting a a group of of the Union soldiers. And uh, he went and spoke a little word to his his, his soldiers. And he said, boys, I know you're tired. I know you want to give up. I know you're hungry. You're thirsty. You're wounded. You feel like it's, it's, you can't hold on any longer. But I want you to know the enemy feels the same way. He's also tired. He's also hungry. He also wants to give up. If you'll just hang on a little bit longer, you'll get the victory. Now, regardless of the political ramifications of that, my point is just hold on a little longer, and the devil will be the one that gives up. Not you. He's getting tired because you're holding on. He's getting tired because you're fighting back. He's getting tired of hearing you praise the Lord in the middle of your problems. He's getting tired of you hoping and believing that you're going to get through this situation you're in this morning. The Lord knows all about your situation before you knew about it. He knows you're going to make it because he is able to make you bring bring you through it. Amen? And so we know, of course, that our troops did break through and we did get the victory in Bastogne in 1945. That's right. We just can't give up. Uh, All that is needed for victory is just not to give up sometimes. Now, in Bastogne, before we went there, um, uh, our, our leadership said, we want you to 
Planted Church in Bastogne. I'd like you to check it out. So we went down. We wanted to find out what was there. Um, found that there was no Protestant church in the entire city. There has never been. Now, there was an African refugee group, but no Protestant church reaching the people. And there's never been in the history of the world. I thought, that's pretty cool. To plant a church where there's never been the gospel preached, they have a, a Jehovah's Witness Kingdom Hall there. And that's sad that Jehovah's Witnesses have got there ahead of us. They have two mosques, one for Muslim speakers, for, one for Arabic speakers, other for Turkish speakers, and two Catholic churches, but not a single Protestant church. I also found out that three other churches had tried to plant a church there in Bastogne, and they gave up. They gave up. The Bible says, don't get weary in doing good, for in due time you will reap if you don't give up. So we thought, this is going to be a challenge. Now, we spent 14 years in Russia. We knew it was going to be difficult, and that helped us. Sometimes you, got, you know that if you know that you're in for a, a little bit of a fight, it's okay. it makes you feel better. You think you can, you can hold on there. I want to say that we broke the encirclement of Bastogne in 1945, 1944, but there still, uh, there still has been um, an encirclement of that city by atheism, by Islam, by a dead Catholicism. I'm not saying all Catholics are dead, but the Catholicism a lot of people see is. By uh, just a materialism. That's surrounded the people there. And Calvinism has hurt them as well. We need to um, trust that the Lord is able to bring us through in these situations. And whatever you're facing this morning, whatever burdens you brought in through that door, the Lord is able to help you this morning. I want you to know that. I want you to know he's got a word for you to encourage you to believe him, and you will see the victory. Um, Sometimes we get discouraged. We we get down on ourselves and say, I must be doing something wrong because I thought the victory was going to be just like that. Moses, he got to Egypt. He began to preach to the people. And uh, it said, God has sent me to deliver you. And they were encouraged. So he went to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh, instead of things getting better, they got worse. Pharaoh said, oh, you guys want to take a little vacation and go worship in the desert? Well, how about this? You're going to do all your work you did before, but you have to get your own straw now. And he told his taskmasters to make it harder on on the Jews. Sometimes when your victory is coming, it gets a little bit worse. It's always darker before the dawn. And you, you start to doubt yourself. You start to wonder like Moses did. And the Lord said, why did you even send me here? I, you know, things have gotten worse. People are mad at me now. What kind of a deliverer am I? One day we went to see Claudine in Bastogne. Claudine is uh, really a mess. Uh, I won't go into all the details. She'd done a little bit of prostitution in the past. She had cancer. She's been fighting cancer for about five, six years. Skinny as a rail. Barely hanging on. Drinks a whole lot. And so we went to see her trying to get Claudine saved. How many know the Lord doesn't care what you did? He wants to straighten you out. He wants to help you. He loves you despite everything, and he's able and willing to save you. So we care for Claudine. So we went to see her. Hans, our maps worker, praise God for our five maps workers just last term. God's been so faithful to send helpers to us. So we got over there, and Claudine started telling us that, you know, she can't sleep at night. I said, what, what's the problem? The word in French is nuit blanche. I mean, it's, it's white all night long. You don't get to sleep, no, nothing dark. She said, because, she said, at night when I'm in my room, I can hear the chairs moving in the living room, and I'm the only one in the apartment. 
That's a little freaky, isn't it? And she, she, there's something demonic apparently going on in her apartment. Before we went to Belgium, I didn't believe in any of that stuff. Brother Lynn, I really didn't. I thought that's haunted house stuff. I don't go for that. That's silly. Well, I've seen enough of it to start to believe that. And we would prayed for another lady in Dinal who had things going on in her house. The lights would come on and off, click, 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 all by themselves while she's in her room. And she found scratches and stuff. I won't go into it. We prayed for that, and it went away. It took the authority in the name of Jesus, Sheila and I, and this lady, a spiritful woman, we prayed for every room, took authority in the name of Jesus, and she called and said, it's over. It hasn't been, it's gone completely. So we went to Claudine's. We thought, well, it's the same thing. So I said, Claudine, we'll just pray for your apartment like we did in Dino. So we prayed, Hans and I, for her apartment, took authority in the name of Jesus, and I asked her the next day, Claudine, how are things? Did you, were you able to sleep last night? Are the chairs still moving? She said, yeah, they're still moving. I couldn't sleep at all. I was discouraged. I, actually, we went over to see her. I was discouraged. I thought, what's the deal? And you start to think, what did I do wrong? Did I not fast enough? Am I not spending enough time in the Word? Maybe I need to make my prayer time longer. Uh, you know, you start to question yourself, you know, what, what's wrong with me? But sometimes there's something else going on. I want to encourage you. But right now, you might wonder, think, maybe there's a problem with me. And I'm not saying there may not be. We all have problems. We all need to pray a little more. It wouldn't hurt to fast a little more. You can see that. <clears throat> but sometimes there's something else going on. And the Lord says, don't be discouraged. I am for you. The devil is temporarily holding back your blessing. He's delaying your victory, but it's on the way. When our guys were surrounded by the Germans, General Patton was on the way. He was, there were, his tanks were pushing the Germans out city by city until they broke the encirclement the day after Christmas. Sometimes you don't see the other guys coming. You don't see the help, but it is on the way. Daniel in the Bible says he prayed for 21 days, didn't get his answer, but the 21st day the angel said, from the first day you began to pray, I was sent to answer your prayer. Your prayer answer is on the way. Don't get mad at God. Don't think that he's uncaring, that he's forgotten you, that he doesn't love you anymore, that he just doesn't care the least bit about you. That is a lie. He has sent your help. It's on the way. We've got to hold on to his promise. So Claudine was telling me, yeah, it's just the same as before. And I start to wonder, what's wrong with me? I wish I was a better missionary. How come this, it happened before, it's not happening now. I don't know. All these thoughts immediately come. The devil's always there to discourage you and tell you it's your fault. What kind of a Christian are you? And she said, I so thank God for her next comment, Brother Lynn. She said, you know, I don't understand why it's happened either. She said, because I've got this witch doll that was given to me at the hospital for good luck. And also, she pulled out the necklace she had. I've got this necklace, of the hand of Fatima, which is an occult symbol. I don't know if you ever heard of it. It's popular in the Middle East. It's an occult thing. She said, I've got that. It's supposed to bring me good luck. And I don't know why this is happening. I said, Claudine, those two things are not going to help you at all. In fact, they may be drawing and attracting this thing because they're demonic. They're occult. Your, your hope is in Jesus. It's not in a little necklace around your neck. It's not in a little witch doll that has batteries in it and cackles. That's not going to help you. I said, you need to put those in the trash. And she listened. She said, okay. Took it right off, put the witch doll in the trash, and when she did, it started to cackle. At the very moment it went in the trash, it started to cackle. I thought that was interesting. So, we got rid of those two things. So then I asked her the next time, I said, Claudine, how are things? Can you sleep now? She said, no, it's just the same as before. Just the same as before. 
And I thought to myself, again, I'm wondering, you know, what kind of a missionary am I? I need more faith. And I need to read more faith books. I don't know what I need to memorize a new scripture. Uh, and I, but then the thought, I said, Claudine, is that trash still in your house? She said, yes, it is. They haven't picked it up yet. I said, I'm coming over. I went over and I took her trash out. <laughs> I assure you, I do, I, do, I do take out the trash. My wife has trained me very well. So I got rid of it. We prayed a second time, and that was it. No more chairs moving in the middle of the night. Your victory is coming. You may not understand the things holding it up, but the Lord revealed it to me. I know that sounds crazy. You probably go home and tell people, well, we heard a strange message today about chairs moving in the middle of the night. But the Lord is faithful. And we just seen God do so many good things. And I want you to celebrate with us. Because sometimes missionaries come in and say, we have a great vision of what's going to be. You know, maybe you think, well, that's nice. We'd like to see that great victory. Well, today we are celebrating a victory that is not one we hoped would be, one that we have today. There is a wonderful church in Bastogne, Belgium. People saved today, people preaching the gospel today in that city, and it's, going to, it's a self-supporting church. It doesn't need a nickel of your money anymore for, for, the, for the church. We're hoping for a building. We're going to ask you about that. We're not done. But right now, I'm going to ask our guys up here to show you the video of our brother, your brothers and sisters in Belgium thanking you. The first person you're going to see here is Pastor Roger. Roger was uh, on the sidelines. He had been benched. He spent, I don't know, about three or four years he'd been a missionary in Africa. But after that, several bad things happened. The devil, if you're a man or woman of God, the devil will try and crush you. He will try to grind you under his foot. He'll try and discourage you. So you just want to throw in the towel and give up. But we're not in the give up business. This is a church of going on to victory. Amen. Let us not grow weary in doing good for in due time we shall we shall reap if we do not. Oh my, they're a little slow here. The coffee hasn't kicked in. Let's try that again. Let us not grow weary in doing good for in we shall if we do not Amen. Boy, I hope you get that verse in your heart. And when the devil comes with, to, with his bucket of cold water to pour it over your head, to say, give up, throw in the towel, you're not going to make it. You say, hold on, devil, let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due time we will reap. We don't give up. So Roger had given up. Pastor, he spent, I don't know, about three, four years sitting at home drinking beer. <laughs> He's got a little pot belly. That's, a, that's the heritage of that time. He had given up. The devil had done so much to him. He had failed in some things. It wasn't just the devil's fault. He had given up. And then gradually that little spark of faith grew back. And he'd gotten kicked out of some church he'd been attending because he was too Pentecostal. And uh, about that time he started coming to our little group. And uh, this was the Lord. And gradually the fire got lit again. And he's doing so well. He's now the pastor of the church. We turned it over to him. He's doing a wonderful job. He's the first person. So I'll let you see the fruit of your prayers and your labor in the church in Bastogne. Que Dieu vous bénisse de la part de Bastogne. Merci, nous voulons vous remercier 
Pasteur, on vous remercie vraiment pour le soutien que vous avez pour cette assemblée qui grandit aujourd'hui. God bless you. Bye bye. Merci beaucoup à tout le monde et que Dieu vous bénisse. Et pour toute la joie et la, la foi, la foi qu'il a ramenée de chez vous jusqu'ici à Bastogne. Et nous promettons de continuer à, à grandir et nous prions euh, toujours pour votre église là-bas. Et nous rendons grâce aux églises américaines que vous soyez tous bénis au nom de notre Seigneur Jésus-Christ. Amen. Yes, yes, yes. So, uh, I want to thank uh, everybody. So, we really need a church for our group. We, nearly, we really need a building, a building that we can uh, pray a lot, that we can uh, work a lot together, and that we can grow together in the faith of God. So, thank you guys for your help. Thank you for everything. Et merci pour votre soutien, vos prières, et, uh, et que Dieu vous bénisse. Hello. Il m'a baptisé, il a baptisé mon mari. Oui, c'est lui. We want to say you that uh, we are going to continue the church with love and with faith and thank you for your help for us to grow in Christ, in Jesus Christ. God bless you. Je la remercie de leur aide au nom du Tout-Puissant. Amen. De groeite uit Nederland. België, sorry. En God zegen. She say greetings from Belgium to our to our American church members there. Un petit remerciement de Belgique pour vous qui nous avez soutenu pendant toutes ces années et que le Seigneur vous bénisse grandement pour votre aide. À bientôt. Thank you to all uh, American people to help uh, the church. The church here in Belgium because uh, Sheila and uh, Kirby made a good job and uh, we need some help to continue their job and uh, thank you very much. Pour continuer l'église ici à Bastogne. On a besoin d'aider pour que les Belges soient sauvés. C'est une mission. Notre mission est noble, mais on a vraiment besoin d'aide. S'il vous plaît, aidez-nous. Et soyez bénis au nom de Jésus. Amen. Isn't that great? Those people love you. I told them, I said, just to say thank you to you. They did a good job. Right now, the church is praying for a building, as you see here. Uh, we've got, um, uh, we're renting, but the church is paying its own way. But we do believe that God has a building, and we're excited that we will be the first ones in the history of the world to ever build a Protestant church in that city. It's exciting to me. That's the, that region's been settled for thousands of years, uh, at least 2,000 years. The Romans were there even. So we're praying for a building. Second, we're hoping for construction teams to come over and help us with that building. We're hoping to get an old building uh, that has been fallen into great disrepair, and then we can fix it up. That's the best strategy because of the, the, the zoning laws they have there. It's a long story. And last of all, the Lord has opened up an, a door to us, an incredible door, for, uh, to do TV ministry. And you think, what? I thought you were a church playing missionary. What's the TV ministry thing? Well, I can't, we can't turn away from it. The Lord, the Lord has opened a door 
to us, and it's exciting to me. If you turn on your television, here you can get all sorts of Christian TV. What are the, there's the big network CBN, and then there's TBN and several satellites. English stuff on the Internet, satellite, cable, it's all there if you want to hear the gospel. In Belgium, the whole nation of 12 million people, there's not a single Protestant channel. There's not a single Protestant satellite in French. There's not a single Protestant channel that works 24 hours a day with programs, although they do have, um, I mean, uh, websites. There are some websites. Make a long story short, um, we've approached the cable companies. They're not at all opposed to giving us a cable channel just for uh, Protestants. We've written to Joyce Meyer, who has an excellent translation program in French. I've met with CBN. CBN is 100% behind it. They promised us all their French material for free. They're giving us free studio time to record in, in Brussels. Our first program will be uh, recorded in January with my friend Daniel Costanza. We're, we've talked to, we're talking already with uh, Top Chrétien, the website in Paris, Enseignement in Montreal, and uh, with Dieu TV in uh, Switzerland to bring in their programming and put it all on this channel. It's really possible we will have 24-hour-a-day gospel preaching for the first time in the history of the world in Belgium. And once we've got that, we want to expand it to France, to French-speaking Switzerland, and to Canada, and to French-speaking Africa. This is a tremendous open door. And I don't know how it happened that we just ended up in this situation. I will say that when I was pastoring in, in Texas, I'm excuse me, in, in Louisiana, um, we had the same situation. The cable had a Catholic channel, and they had nothing else. And so I went to the cable people. I said, hey, can't you put on TBN? It's totally free. They said, oh, we can't do it. It's technically impossible. I'm sorry, Mr. Riles. Reverend Riles can't do it. And I, I just didn't accept no for an answer. I wasn't going to give up. Amen? We shall reap if we don't give up. So I went to the, his boss in another city in Vider, Texas, and I said, can't you guys give us a channel? He said, I'm sorry, Reverend Riles. We can't do it. It's just technically impossible. So I went to Dallas, went to the boss's boss, and I said, we need a cable channel in, in uh, Louisiana. And they said, okay. So we got our cable channel. So when we got to Belgium, it's exactly the same situation. It's like the Lord had prepared me with that little bitty thing we did years ago in Louisiana to believe for something in Belgium. So something neat is happening there. And I want to say something to you about that. Um, if you're faithful in little, Jesus said, you'll be faithful in much. He who is faithful in little will be faithful in much. We went to plant one simple church in Bastogne, Belgium. It's a minor thing. Some people say, that's all you're doing? Just one church plant? People sometimes think, I want big things. But you know, if you can't do the little things, you're not going to get the big things. If you're a soccer player and you can't dribble the ball down, as they say in soccer, down the field 10 yards, you're not going to be very effective. If you're a football player playing for uh, uh, University of Alabama and you can't catch a pass, my goodness, you better go back and learn the fundamentals. You've got to be faithful in the little things before you get to the big things. And I believe the Lord tested us with this church plan. Would we be faithful? Would we not grow weary? Would we stay at our post until we saw that church plan? And when that has ha now that's happened... Doors have opened to something really spectacular, and we're, we're seeing some good things happen there. I'd like you to, if you would, to be praying for our building, 
We do need some help to buy that building. We're looking for Americans who can help us make the purchase price. The plan is one-third Belgian money, one-third American money, one-third a loan. So that's our strategy to get a building there. And the um, uh, Lord has opened up a neat thing for us. Turn in your Bibles, if you could, to Revelations 3.7 about this open door that the Lord has given to us. <clears throat> and I'm going to read, uh, read that to you uh, in my favorite translation. Uh, we're in Revelations chapter 3, verse 7. And that's right after verse 6. If you have trouble finding it, look for verse 6. And it's the one right after it. It says this. Écrit à l'ange de l'église de Philadelphie, voici ce qui dit le saint, le véritable, celui qui a la clé de David, celui qui ouvre et personne ne fermera, celui qui ferme et personne n'ouvrira. Je connais tes œuvres, voici parce que tu es peu de puissance, que tu as gardé ma parole et que tu n'as pas régné mon nom. J'ai mis devant toi une porte ouverte que personne ne peut fermer. Isn't that great? Maybe you didn't like that translation I used. I'll say it in English. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, God is true. Don't doubt his faithfulness to you. He is true. Who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. The Lord is speaking to you this morning. I know your deeds. Behold, I've put before you an open door. Let that just sink in. The Lord has opened a door for you. You might be trying some other door, but that's not the door he wants you to go in. Go through the one he's opened up. The Lord has put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Wonderful promise. Wonderful promise. The Lord has put an open door before us there in Belgium, and we're excited about it. He asks us to be faithful. Um, the word in Greek for faithful is pistos, pistos. It means reliable, dependable. Uh, uh, Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, he said, the things you've heard and seen in me, commit, thou, commit these to faithful men. I guess women are excluded. So Sorry, ladies. No, women are included. Uh, the word men there is inclusive. As you see in other places the, about preaching the gospel to all men, it's for everybody. But committed to faithful men and women, the people that will start a job and they won't quit until they get done. Um, uh, even when we don't understand, that's when faithfulness is needed. It's not hard to be faithful, is it? When the sun is shining, the bluebird is singing on your shoulder, everybody smiles at you, everybody asks how you're doing, and the, the, there's a meal after church. I mean, it's not hard to be faithful. But it is hard to be faithful when your car doesn't start and you get in a fight with your wife on the way to church and you're not feeling too good <laughs> and, and, and you didn't like the way people were looking at church and, and Brother Jones didn't say hello and, uh, and the chair's not that comfortable and the temperature's not right and the sound, the music, you just didn't like the music. That's when it's hard to be faithful. That's when you need to be faithful. Faithfulness doesn't count when it's easy. Faithfulness counts when it's not easy, when it's hard, and when you don't want to be there and you go anyway. That's faithfulness. That's what the Lord is calling us to do. And that's what you have done in over many years of giving and trusting God in your ministry. You've got to keep sowing if you want to keep reaping. Um, we've got to do that even when we don't understand. 
I want you to look, if you could, at your faith pledge. There's something special about this. Um, in, in our world today, we have so often had an intellectual Christianity, an intellectual Christianity. And um, the African Christians I know, they are really wonderful, the ones in, in Belgium. We love them. You saw some great African Christians there. And they love to pray. My goodness, they have all-night prayer meetings. All, I mean, until the sun comes up, prayer meetings. That's, 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 that's praying for you. That makes our praying look, puts us to shame. There's an intellectual thing sometimes we have. Let me tell you about one of those all-night prayer meetings. Blanche, who you saw on that video, she was one, thank you uh, to the Americans who've helped us. Let me tell you the story about an all-night prayer meeting Blanche. Blanche was diagnosed with an inoperable tumor in her head. Doctor said she had six weeks, maybe six months, and she went to another doctor. So this guy's crazy. The other doctor did all the tests, the MRI, said, uh, Madame Conan, you have six weeks, maybe six months. Same story. So she thought, God, are you really going to take my life? I'm only 57. Is it, is it really over for me? You, don't you have anything else for me to do? And as she prayed and, and, and sought the Lord, she knew it was not the end. She knew that God was going to heal her. So for, she started to pray and believe for her healing. A year and a half goes by. The tumor's there. They do an MRI every two months, still there, and starts to grow sometimes. Now, one night, she's feeling really badly. Brother Lynn, she can't walk very well. She's having trouble standing up. She's in pain. And they're having an all-night prayer meeting at her church, which is in France which is an hour away. That's because there was no church in Bastogne at that time. You had to go an hour to get to church. That's why we're thanking God we have a church and Blanche is going there. It's a 10-minute drive for her now. But at that time, she had to go to France. So she said to her husband, 10 o'clock at night, because that's when the prayer meeting starts, she said to, to um, Jeff, that's his name, said, Jeff, I'm going to go to that prayer meeting. And Jeff, like any reasonable man, said, no, honey, you know, you can hardly stand up. You know, you need to just rest at home tonight and, and just pray here at the house. She said, honey, I'm submitted to you, and if you won't drive me, that's okay. I'll drive myself. <laughs> I think that was kind of one of those interesting comments. But um, he, he was worried for his car, I imagine. So he said, I'll drive you, I'll drive you. So they drove to this prayer meeting. They get there. Blanche comes in. She's in pain. She's crying. She can't stand up. She sits in a chair. Pastor's wife, they prayed for her many times over a year and a half. But notice, they didn't give up. Let me repeat that. They prayed before and got no answer. But now they're praying again because they're not giving up. And in due time, you will reap if you don't give up. So they said, she said, let's everybody pray for Blanche. So they all gathered around her, laid hands on her. Praise God for Pentecostal churches that believe in the power of healing. They do more than say, well, God be with you. I guess it's your cross to bear. The Lord save us from that type of theology. They gathered around Blanche. They laid hands on her. Again, they prayed for 30 minutes. This wasn't one of those little, God bless you, go home. It wasn't one of those. It was a 30-minute prayer. They laid hands and prayed for Blanche. And then Blanche suddenly felt a wave of like menthol, she said. I don't know what, quite what that means. Just a refreshing and a power came in her. She got up in the chair and started to dance. This woman who could barely walk in there, now she's dancing. She goes to the doctor because uh, every two months they have an MRI. Didn't say a word. 
They did the MRI, and two doctors came running in after they saw the MRI. They said, Mrs. Conan, who did your surgery? <laughs> so, that's why you see smiles on those Belgians, because we have a healing God. But that was an all-night prayer meeting. Uh, I just wanted to encourage you to keep on praying. And about this, this, this uh, faith pledge, faith promise, there's two kinds of faith we don't need. One is intellectual. It's just where you read the books, you, you know the, the theology, you can read it in Greek, you can read it in Hebrew, but there's no action. James said that type of faith is it's dead. It's not much use. The world has seen that kind of faith. They don't have much use for it either. And so oftentimes when you speak to people about the gospel, they think, I don't need what you have. I've seen that kind of faith. It's dead. It's just talk. If, if we're going to talk the talk, we need to walk the walk. And what the Lord is calling us is to put our faith into action. That's what this is right here. This is a chance for you today to move from intellectual Christianity into real Christianity. See, I'm going to put my faith in action. It's a living faith that's going to change my life. It's going to send a blessing into other people's lives. And I know it's impossible to bless somebody else and not be blessed yourself. You can't do it. You cannot send blessings out, sow blessings here and there, and not reap them in your own life, and in your own family, in your own church. That's the way God is. And that's what this is. This is a chance to put your faith into action because we don't need just dead intellectual Christianity. We need a living faith that changes lives, that heals the sick, that starts churches, that blesses people. And, and we also don't need a procrastinating faith, a procrastinating faith. You remember the man that said to Jesus, he said, Jesus, I'll follow you. Uh, first, let me go and bury my father. Well, he wasn't saying his father just died. His father was quite well. He was saying, after my dad dies and I get my inheritance, then, you know, I'll follow you. But right now, I've got, I've got to take care of things at home. I don't want dad to be offended. So, procrastination doesn't do it. The Bible says, tomorrow is the day of salvation. Did I get that wrong, Brother Lynn? I sometimes forget my verses. Oh, I'm sorry, yesterday was the day of salvation. No. Oh, today is, I need some help sometimes. Today is the day. God's not a procrastinating God. He's calling you today. You've got today. You don't have tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Maybe the Lord will call us home tomorrow. There's a lot of uh, people that put on their shoes today, and they're not going to take them off. That's the last time they put those shoes on. Someone else will end up taking them off. One day I was in Michigan, and uh, a man knocked at my door and said, there's somebody down in the street. I think you better call a priest. I thought, what is this? I went down there. There's a man. He'd been shoveling snow. Looked like he was about 55, maybe 60. He had a heart attack. He jumped in the car. The hospital was three blocks away. He knew he didn't have time for an ambulance. Tried to drive his car to the hospital. He made a block and a half, and his car, he just pulled over. He died right there in front of our house. You know, there's, we don't know what our time is. We don't know. We need to be ready today. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to put your faith into action. Um, there was, um, I've got lots of stories to tell you about that. But the Lord is calling you to put your faith in him, not only for your salvation, but also he wants to sanctify your finances. He wants to bless you financially, and he will do it. Because as you sow, you will reap. If we sow into his kingdom, we will reap. Uh, I want to um, note a, another verse I love very much, Isaiah 55, 6. 
Isaiah 55, 6. It says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be. Call upon him while he is. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. The Lord is speaking to you. Right now he is near. You're in his house. It's Sunday. You, you've, you set aside time. You put your own interests aside. You say, I'm going to go and put God's interests first today. I'm going to seek the Lord. And he is near to you now. And uh, uh, there's something special about that. Because if it means he's near, there's also going to be a time when he's not, when he's far away. That's what that means. Seek him while he may be found. That means there will be a time you may seek him. You will not find him. The Bible says, they will call upon me and I will not answer them. There's, there's a verse in the Bible that says that. There's a time when the Lord will, will have closed the door. Esau came to his father, Isaac, and said, Father, isn't there yet a blessing for me? He said, no, my son. It's too late. There is a too late. So that's why seek him while he may be found. The Lord is speaking to some of us here, speaking to you, and he wants you to seek him. And it's, 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 he's calling you to make a decision for him. He loves you. He has a plan for your life, not to ruin your life, but to bless you, to help you, to, to save you from what could be. Jesus, and the, uh, I'm going to say something about following the Lord, because the devil is a liar, and he wants you to think that following Jesus is about the worst thing you could do that your life would be a miserable life, uh, that, that trusting God for your finances would be a mistake. Uh, he wants to say all those things. But um, my son one day asked me, uh, Daddy, why did we go over to Russia and be missionaries? And, and why couldn't we have stayed in America and, and had a normal life like everybody else? And I thought about that. It bothered me. It was a, a question that, of course, it grieves to hear it. Because uh, our life wasn't always easy in Russia, and it's not always easy in Belgium. And I thought of another couple we knew that stayed behind when we went overseas, and the wife ended up with, um, had some serious health issues, had surgery. Husband got a brain tumor, and he died. Son had heart problems. They had going welfare, just all sorts of trouble, and they never left America. What the Bible says is that man is born to trouble, as the sparks fly upward in Job. You can't escape trouble. You can't escape trouble by saying, I'm not going to follow you, Lord. I'm going to choose the easy way. It just doesn't work that way. Trouble will find you whether you're following Jesus or whether you're not. It's going to be there. That's our life. The only question is, will I be serving God when that trouble comes? Will I be able to call upon him for help? Or, or, or will I be in trouble uh, that without his help? That's why it says, call upon him while he is near, seek him while he may be found. Um, Jesus um, went around, the Bible says, preaching a message, repent for the kingdom of God is near. That's a pretty short sermon. I bet some of you wish I'd preach that sermon this morning. John the Baptist preached the same message, repent for the kingdom of God is near. The Bible says Jesus sent out the, the apostles to preach that same message, repent for the kingdom of God is near. The Lord um, is speaking to you right now. This is your time to make a decision for him. He wants you to realize that this time when God is close to you and when the Holy Spirit is speaking to you may not last for a long time. There is a point in which 
that nearness, that calling will be withdrawn. Uh, the Bible says um, to, in Timothy, it says, uh, be patient with all men in the hope that God will grant them repentance. Repentance is a gift. It's a temporary gift. It's a time-limited gift, and I need to listen to it when it's there because there will be a time when that season of repentance is drawn. In Revelation, the Lord spoke about Jezebel. said, I gave her time to repent. So there's a time when the Lord's calling you to seek him, to put him first. And I want to encourage you to make that decision for Jesus, just like I did, just like our friends in Belgium did. Um, I'm going to pray with you right now. Would you bow your heads with me? We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you that you love us so much. Your grace is so abundant. You have provided salvation for our friends in Belgium, and you provide it now uh, here in Tuscaloosa. Lord, we, we pray that you would um, move upon our hearts and you would grant us that repentance to seek you now while you are near. With every eye closed, every head bowed, if you want to make that decision for Jesus, I want you to slip up your hand. I'm going to ask you to do that in just a minute. And I want you to understand that in making that decision, you're trusting Christ to change you, to make you into a new person. It's not your strength that will do it. It's his strength that will do it. Right now, on the count of three, one, two, three, slip up your hand and say, I want to accept Jesus Christ as Lord of my life. I make that decision for the Lord this morning. Okay, let's, I see that hand. Lord, we thank you for um, those that have made a decision for you. We um, lift them up to you. We pray that you be merciful to them just as you have been to us and you will be faithful, Lord and directing us in your way. <clears throat> in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I'd like to encourage you to uh, uh, trust the Lord with your finances for your uh, faith promise. Um, one, one minor thing, Pastor Lynn will say more on this, I'm sure, but um, my wife and I made a decision a few years ago to trust God for what we didn't have, to make a, a promise money we didn't have and trust that he would provide that. And that's why a faith promise is just that. It's a promise based upon faith. The Lord doesn't provide. You can't give what you don't have. But I'm tr- I, we found that he has been faithful. He's made those decisions. He has come through for us. Uh, and we've been blessed tremendously because of it. Thank you all for having us. God bless you. <clears throat>